church as well. We're going to jump right back into worship and we'll have our time of prayer here in just a moment. But let's sing an uh, old hymn of the church. Will amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a rain. 
song at the end of it every time. And this line that says, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Are you thankful for used to tag this, he'd say, and when the battle's over, we swear a crowd, yes, we swear a crowd, yes, we swear a crowd,
And Lord, we believe that you are no respecter of persons. And you can, the same God that was in this house this morning can be the same God in this house tonight. And there might be someone here tonight that maybe they didn't need anything this morning. But as the day progressed today, they needed something tonight from the Lord. So Lord, I'm asking you to open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to hear from you today. Lord, I don't care if it's in the middle of a song service, in the middle of an instrumental, in the middle of the message, God, or if even it's at the close of service. Lord, I want someone tonight to be able to say that they were glad they came to the house of the Lord and got exactly what they needed from the Lord. So, Lord, we commit everything we do, every song we sing, every note we play, every word that is spoken, we commit it into your care because we know nothing good do you withhold to those who love you. For that, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. The people of God together said amen. Amen. Let's continue singing. For we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Will we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord? And we offer and we offer unto you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer. Sacrifices of joy. Well, now we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Will we bring the sacrifice of praise into the Well, now we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Oh, and we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and we offer Sacrifice. Oh, let's sing one more time. We bring the sacrifice. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer and we offer unto you the sacrifices of offer up to you the sacrifices of what we offer Lord and we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving and we offer up to you the sacrifices Jesus, you're the name above all names, and 
You're the blessed Redeemer. You're the glorious Lord. Emmanuel, for God is with us. Blessed Redeemer, you are the living Word. Let's sing it together. So we sing Jesus. the glorious Lord, you are Emmanuel, God is with us, this is the living word, oh let's sing it again, you are Jesus, you're the name of the
Let's sing that chorus one more time. Let the sweet, let the sweet aroma, Lord of worship, fill this room. Let it rise, let it rise before the Father. As a fragrant, as a fragrant sweeter. sacrifice be consumed. We present an offering of praise unto the Lord because we want that aroma of worship, the Shekinah glory of your presence to infiltrate our hearts and our lives in this place. Let it be, Lord, in our moment we spend with you, let it be a transformational experience with sweet aroma of worship would come and be in our midst and you would inhabit the praise of your people and as the praises go up your spirit, your blessings, your presence would come down the prophet Isaiah said Lord that you would rend the heavens and you would come down come down amongst your people so God we're asking to get ready to break the bread of life to come down in our midst and speak to our hearts you spoke to us this morning but speak to us again tonight for that we will forever give you the praise the glory and the honor that is due your name the people of God together said amen amen, amen. you may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord if you have your Bibles I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel excuse me I'm sorry that was this morning, the book of Matthew, chapter 16. The book of Matthew, chapter 16. Sister Ten, if you don't mind, if you will uh, mute the uh, either the guitar or the bass channel. I'm getting a feedback on this microphone. Uh, maybe both of them uh, there. I'm getting some kind of static here um, on that. 
maybe it's me. I'm not really sure what it is. Uh, but a little bit of a, a hiccup there, but it'll be all right. Well, that's it. Whatever that was. Thank you. I was had it. I had an echo in my ears. I thought I was in one of those time warps where they're spraying for insects. It was one z- I was waiting for the little insects to get zapped with those little LED lights. I thought maybe someone had installed one and I was getting ready to get shot with something up here. Just a second. Matthew chapter 16. We'll, we're going to begin reading here in just a moment in verse number 13. I always want to, before I break the bread of life today, I always like to uh, make sure that I, from a housekeeping perspective, do a few things. I never want it to become cliche, I guess is one way to say it, where when the Lord comes by in our midst and we feel His presence, that we take it for granted. As I was traveling today in my car and uh, headed to lunch, I was thinking as I was driving, you know, God doesn't have to come in our midst. There's no, there's no prerequisite where God has forced His hand where He has to do it or where we are owed His presence in any way, shape, or form. So anytime we have church, and whether it's an, a, a, a shouting and a running the aisle service or the still small voice of the Lord speaking to our hearts, anytime He comes in the midst, we should feel humbled that He took time out of His schedule to invade our schedule to meet with us. Because He doesn't have to. He does because He loves us, but He don't have to. It's not a prerequisite. And I want to say to this body as well as to the Lord today how much I just love being in His presence in moments like, even though I, we were out of town for a couple of weeks, being in a service like this morning, I know we weren't running the aisles and doing all kinds of cartwheels, and, but just knowing God's in the building, it makes, worth, it makes it worth it to get up, put your clothes on and get dressed, put the effort, get out of the bed, because when He comes, it was worth it all to get here for that day. It's worth it. Absolutely worth it. So before this body of believers, before we break the bread of life, but speaking to this body of believers, I just want to tell the Lord, thank you for meeting with us today and letting us feel his presence. Now, you know, I always try to find some creative way, and we'll give you some reminder announcements at the end of service, but I always try to find some creative way to think of a new thought, if you will, for a message that maybe you haven't heard, or if you've heard it twisted a little bit different way to get your thinking a little bit different. And uh, I was in my office today, and uh, Brianna took took the car, and she was uh, going to do some shopping or something, Walmart, whatever. I really don't know how much money I'm less now. I may not have money in the bank right now. I'm not really sure what I have. I gave her keys to a car and my wallet, and I don't know what happened after that. I have yet to see the receipt since she's come back, so I don't know exactly what it is. So, um, so if anybody has uh, any uh, any leftover dinner, I might need it tomorrow because I don't know what I have left right now. I'm just kidding. But I was sitting in my office and I was thinking. Now, some people do things a little bit different. I'm just going to be confessed to you for a moment. Then we're going to get right into the message. Some people, they'll get on their hands and knees. They'll lay in before the Lord. I mean, they'll lay down prostrate before the Lord. 
wail and weep and cry before the Lord. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes people will kneel at an altar or at a bench to get their things from the Lord. Sometimes I do that. For me, oftentimes, crazy enough as it sounds, most of the time when I hear from the Lord is when I'm sitting behind that piano and I just play and I just sit there and think about it. I'm subconsciously, I'm talking to the Lord. I might pray out loud. I might be praying in my head. But just in that moment, just playing the songs of Zion, just, Lord, I, you know, I need to hear from you and just playing worship music. Now, some people, worship music dis- distracts them. And so, some people want it completely silent. However you do, it's fine. That's, there's no judgment zone here. But I didn't come in here today and do that. I sat in that uh, swivel office chair, and I just sat behind my desk and folded my hands in my pocket and just sat there and just kind of leaned back and stared across towards the door of my office. Brother Larry subconsciously just thinking, okay, Lord, I, I need something for tonight. I mean, you gotta, you got to give me something. You know, I can't just stand up there and be like, well, you know, I would have said something, but I, I don't have nothing. I said, Lord, you got to give me something. And uh, I sat there, waited, waited, waited. I never uh, had preached this message before, to my knowledge. Uh, if I have, it might have been parts and pieces, but not the entire volume of it. And uh, it really wasn't even a sermon at the time. In fact, in my phone, it was just a note. (laughs) I had just took some notes down just driving one day. I stopped. I didn't take the notes while driving. Let me clarify that. But I had put them in my phone as a thought so I wouldn't forget them later. And then got back because, you know, none of y'all have these moments. But if I don't write it down, I might not remember it. Amen. Some of y'all set timers just to wake up in the morning and what time to go to bed. I mean, y'all, come on, y'all, 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 y'all can't remember what time to get up in the morning. Y'all have alarms. The reality of it is I uh, had this in there. And uh, I was sitting there and I was reviewing that note in my phone. And at first I was like, come on, God, this is the cream of the crop. This is the people that come to church all the time. They don't need to hear this. They got this. They've got it. They know how. They've been. Some of these people have been God saved longer than I've been alive. Man, some of these people have been going to church longer than I've been alive. Some of these people have been going to church as long as you've been alive, God. That's what I was thinking. I'm being honest. That's what I was thinking. And uh, I couldn't get away from it. I'm going to read the scripture first. Then I'll give you the, the title of the message. And then we'll expound on it. If you'll stand just really quick for the reading of God's word, it won't be but just for a moment. When Jesus came into Caesarea Philippi upon the coast, he asked his disciples a question. He said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah or Elias, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus turned to them and said, But what do you say about me? Peter speaks up, Thou art Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus answered him, Thou hast answered right. Blessed art thou, Simon of Barjona, for flesh and blood did not, have not revealed this to you, but my Father which was in heaven. And I say unto thee that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates shall not prevail against it, and I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou bound on earth which, or shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated for a moment. In the presence of the Lord. Before I give you the title, here's what I want you to see. 
They say, well, Pastor, I've heard you read that scripture before about who do men say that I am. I have, but I'm not preaching that part. Not preaching about knowing who Jesus is. I'm preaching, actually, I want to come from a different perspective on this entire scripture right here in Matthew 16, 13. See, I have brought it up to our attention before this question, and I have expounded before about how Peter got it right and all of that stuff, but Something triggered me today when I was reading my note in my phone. So I, the best I could put it into a title, if you will, to give us a starting block. How do you put it into a title? I could only come up with this title. Who's asking who? Is Jesus really confused at who he is? No. Does the disciples really not know who Jesus is? No, they've seen him do stuff. They know who he is. So in reality, this question, who's asking who? See, I learned something. I read not too long ago an interview from a world-famous scientist. This article was interviewing this scientist. And this famous scientist was asked, he was such a world-renowned, he had won all these awards and peace prizes and all these different notoriety and accolades. They interviewed him and they asked him, how did you become such this world-renowned, incredible, I mean, you're the best of the best in your field. Like, how did you come up to it? I mean, were you, were you just gifted with this talent? What made you want to do this, be this famous? He replied with this answer. He said, every day... After school, my mother would get me from school, bring me in the house. She never wanted to know how my daily activities were was in terms of what we did at school. But rather, she always asked me one question every day. The question was, did you ask a good question today? No matter what it was, son, did you ask a good question today he said and I had to answer that every day he said so to answer your question with the question my mom answered I guess the best answer I could give you is asking good questions is what made me become the man I am today because scientists you know what they always do they're always asking questions to try to figure out why something is the way it is what science is all about. I was thinking about this and I was putting the message together about Brianna being a night shift nurse. And I've heard countless stories where she has shared with me all kinds of things of, you know, some crazy thing that happened in the hospital no one ever seen before or something some doctor had prescribed or whatever, but it, you know, it didn't make sense and they, nobody could figure it out. And, they, and, and one time I asked her about the situation she was talking about and I said, well, what did y'all do? They said, well, none of, she said, none of us had ever done that procedure before. We didn't know how to do that procedure. And I said, well, if the doctor said they had to have X, Y, Z in that, that procedure, what would y'all do? You couldn't just not do it? And she said, yeah, but none of us had ever done this before. I said, so what would you do? She said, we watched a YouTube video. I said, you did what? She said, we Googled it, watched the YouTube video, and then tried it on the patient after we watched the YouTube video. I thought, my God, I don't want to go to the hospital. YouTube's my medical provider. That's scary. That's scary. 
I said, what happened? She said, it worked. Shockingly enough, it did just what it said it would do. I thought, my God, YouTube saved the day. But what they had come to realize in that moment, while a little comical, and, and obviously that's not every night at the hospital, but what they came to know is, if I don't know what to do, then I need to ask the right questions to figure out how to get the job done. See, I'm not here tonight to preach to you on who do men say that I am and preach to you who Jesus is, but I wanted to flip it. What do you do when Jesus is the one asking the question instead? Because in our lives, we always have a question for Jesus. I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but just for a moment, internally self-evaluate. How many times have we had some questions for God? God, why am I walking through this valley? God, why am I walking through this season? God, why is my marriage the way it is? Why is my finances the way it is? Why is my job the way it is? Why is COVID the way it is? Why is my church the way it is? Why is my children going through this? Why is my grandchildren suffering this? Why is this happening? Why is it? We've all, all at some point in life had some questions for God. And most of us, if not all of us, when we've had those questions, if we really were honest with ourselves, we all wanted and demanded even though we never say we demanded it, but real, realistically speaking, we were wanting God to give us an answer right then to, the, to answer our question. See, we don't like it when we ask questions. God says no. We don't like it when he says no. When we ask questions, we don't like, like it when God says wait. We hate waiting. We live in such an action-paced, fast society, nobody likes to wait on anything. They don't like to wait at the red light. They'll try to jump the red light, cut a back street to beat you at the next red light just to get three cars ahead of you. That's just in Somerville, y'all. It takes 15 minutes to get from one traffic light to the next, and they're only from me to the office door back there. That's the God's honest truth. I am more sanctified every day that I drive through Somerville downtown. I know I'm saved because I don't tell anybody off every day I drive through. I think when I get back home, I know I'm saved, Lord, because I didn't tell nobody off today. I'm with you bunch of crazy lunatics and Lord let it rain oh my heavens one of one the turn signal don't work Two, their windshield wiper blades don't work and third they've never seen rain before they're like the they're like the people during the days of Noah they've never seen such a phenomenon fall out of the sky before they have forgotten that water does fall from the sky called rain but I have learned that in those moments we don't like to wait we try to hurry and go we most people, back in the day, you know, great mom, great grandmamas, great mamas, mamas, all this, you know, they always cook all the time. Some of y'all still do that, and that's great. But ain't nothing more frustrating when you walk into grandma's house, you smell it, and you're hungry, and grandma says, you're going to have to wait, it ain't ready. Why, why tempt me like that? Why cause me to stumble? Grandma, my Bible says you should not cause a man to stumble. Why are you doing this to me right now? I used to be furious. I'd go to my grandmother's house or, I'd, or my mom, she was cooking. I'd walk in the house and it was smelling good. And I'd say, ooh, I'm hungry, mom. It's gonna be, oh, it's going to be another 15, 20 minutes. Are you kidding me? Well, that's not that. We didn't like, we didn't like waiting. We were wanting to right then. Some people don't like waiting so bad, they make those instant ready meals. They go buy Uncle Ben's and a TV dinner, put it in for two minutes. They've got Salisbury steak, mashed potatoes and gravy. They've got macaroni and cheese, green beans, and a dessert in two minutes. They love it. We don't like waiting. We have generations of young people that don't understand what waiting means. 
They don't understand concepts like waiting to have sex before marriage. They can't wait. They don't understand the concept of you have to go through education and even if you don't go to college, but you, you should apply yourself all the way through to the end of your high school journey because it will have effect on you down the road. They don't understand that mamas and daddies and grandparents, that they're not nut jobs. They've been there, done that, and don't want you to make the same mistakes that maybe they've made. And some of them, especially young people, they don't understand the value of just waiting for satisfaction or gratification to be delayed rather than instantaneous. And what we've done even in the church world, we have risen, uh, raised up, I'm sorry, we have raised up a generation. I'm not talking about physical age generation. I'm now talking spiritually. We as a church, not this body, but universally, have have raised up generations of, of young Christians that want an instantaneous answer from God. And if God doesn't answer them fast enough, they give up on Him and quit. They don't wait in an altar. They don't even know what tarrying and waiting in an altar is. They don't even know what that concept even means. They don't wait. They want an answer now. We have lots of questions for Jesus and demand and deem answers immediately. But what do we do when Jesus answers our question with a question? See, I'm just going to be honest. I'll just preach to me tonight because, you know, I don't want anybody else to go home with their feelings hurt. I hated when my mother or my father or my grandmother or whoever was disciplining me at the time, I hated a lecture. Just stop talking and beat the snot out of me. I'd rather you go get to switch off a tree and beat the fool out of me than tell me that I'm disappointing Jesus and I was just, I, you know, Jesus was frowning. He wasn't happy. And son, do you realize the ramifications of the decisions you made? I don't care about the ramifications. Just beat me. Stop talking about it. Just hit me. Get it over with. Pain only lasts for a season. Just stop talking and hit me. But I always used to get really upset when I'd ask a question and they'd ask me, they would, they would answer my question with a question. I, I wouldn't ask a question for a retort. I want you to answer the question. Like I'd say something like, Mom, I'm hungry. You know what she'd say? What are you going to do about it? That's not what I asked. I didn't ask Am I hungry? I'm asking you. I say, Mom, I'm hungry. What are we having to eat? What are you going to do about it? That's, that's not what I asked, Mother. I want to know what you're going to do about it. Infuriating me. I'd be like, hey, Mom, can I get, can I borrow 20 bucks because I'm going, you know, some of my friends and I bowling. You got a job? That wasn't a question, Mom. That's just ask. Can I have money? I don't need you to explain. I'm broke. I already, Mom, if I was if I didn't know I wasn't broke, I wouldn't have asked for the $20. I'm not an idiot, Mom. I, I'm, a, I'm in, you know, 11th grade. I can do math. I understand what $20 is. I wouldn't have asked for it if I had it in my bank account, Mom, in my little piggy bank. What do you mean if I, Mom, can I borrow $20? You got a job? You know I don't have a job, Mom. Why'd you ask? You'd have to drive me if I did. What do you mean, do I have a job? One day I remember I was in 10th grade. Ninth grade, I think. Ninth, tenth grade. I went in there one day for something. It was something dumb. I said, hey, Mom, can I borrow ten bucks? Whatever. I don't remember the number it was. And she said, don't you think it's about time you get a job? Don't you think your daddy and I have paid for you long enough? Why are we? Mom, this is one of those quit asking me questions. Just stop. Just give me the ten dollars. I'm going out of the house. I said, well, bad mistake. I said, yeah, I probably should get a job because this is frustrating. 
She said, I thought you'd never ask. I didn't ask, Mom. I was frustrated. That wasn't a statement of facts. I just was adding that. You know what she did? She put me in the car and drove me to Chick-fil-A of Somerville that day. I was 15 years old. She knew they'd hire 15. She walked me in. There was a little red-headed, tall, red-headed guy named Brian who was the manager. She said, my son needs a job. I was like, your son don't need no job. He's got mama. What do I need a job for? What's wrong with you, lady? I got my mama. What do you mean? I need a job. You need a job, obviously, because you can't afford me. I don't need a job. He gave me an application. She said, sit down, fill it out. Writing it down. She said, when's his interview? I'm like, Mom, whoa, 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 Mom. Whoa, we ain't got to be friends with him this soon. <laughs> Hello. Anyway, long story short, obviously I got a job. But it used to infuriate me when my mother or my father would return my question with a question. But you know, that's how Jesus oftentimes in the Bible would answer people's requests. Now, I began to think about why would Jesus, in all of his wisdom, he already knows everything. He already knows I'm sick. He already knows I'm frustrated. He already knows I'm tired. He already knows I got a headache. He already knows my job's playing out. He already knows. Why would he ask me a follow-up question when he's God? He already knows. I mean, if he's God, he's the omnipotent and the omniscient God, all-powerful, all-knowing God, why would he ask me a question? And then I began to think about it. He's not asking questions because he doesn't know. He's asking questions so that I know I can't do it without him. The whole purpose of the question is not about him just trying to infuriate me. The whole purpose of the question is for me to realize, if I don't have you, Lord, I can't do it. The old song, we used to sing it when I was a kid growing up. The old song, my dad used to sing it. I don't know why I always think of old songs, because I think that's the only thing my dad would let me listen to, because anything newer he said was going to hell, so I couldn't listen to it. I didn't even know what contemporary praise and worship was until I was 16 and got in my car. My dad's like, you listen to Southern gospel music or you don't listen to nothing at all. I'm like, come on, Dad. Toby Mack and, and Third Day and all these guys are really cool. He was like, they're not of God. No, Dad, they're, they're on the radio station, the Christian one. I don't care. We don't like that music. <laughs> okay. Got a car. And I was like, please, Daddy, don't check my radio stations. Anyway, I say all that, but... I began to realize we sang a song as a kid. My dad and mom actually sang it. Eventually it became part of our repertoire at our church. But this was the song. My parents loved southern gospel music. They, their style was more of uh, the, the early Hensons. That's how my mom and dad, they used to sing the old Henson songs. Um, they would sing uh, a lot of the Freemans. Uh, Chris Freeman and, and her family, they'd sing a lot of their songs. Uh, and that style. One particular song that was a little outside of their box, but they started singing. It kind of ties with this message. The reason God asks us questions is because he needs us to realize we can't do it without him. And the song simply just said this. I lean on you, Lord. I lean on you, Lord. For the things that I need, Lord, I lean on you. When I don't know just what to do, I've got the faith that you will see me through. You will supply my every need, Lord, I lean on you. That was the song. I played it for 1,400 years for my parents to sing it. It got so bad when my dad and mom would get up to church to sing, he wouldn't even tell me what song he's doing. He'd just say, A flat, and just start singing. I better hope I know it. I don't, I don't even know what he's singing. He'd be pulling stuff like that all the time. 
I was sitting in my office today putting this message together, and I thought about that. I said, but that's exactly why God asked me questions. That's why he asked us questions. He's, we, he has to get us to a place to understand we can't do anything, but he will supply our every need when we lean on him. That's the whole point. Who's asking the questions? See, the right questions are essential in learning. I remember my grandfather. I don't know why I'm going down memory lane. I guess I was just bored today. Uh, my grandfather called him Pop. He spoke with electric larynx. the funniest guy in the world because he would play tricks on people. <laughs> he was actually kind of not funny, but it was funny. He had thoracic cancer, and he lost his vocal, uh, his, uh, his voice box, and so they put a little remote control uh, battery operator, and then you put this little vibrator thing up here, and when he puts it up there and he talks, you can hear him. It was like a robot. He was like, wah, 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 wah. It was awesome. I was like, I told parents, I, people told people, I told people all the time, oh, my grandfather's a robot. I used to tell them that all the time. I was like, my grand, and then he'd put his little thing up there, and they'd be like, the people think it's a mesmerized. Either, and, and when you get frustrated, he, you had to hold the button to get it to, to, to make the vibrations for, the, for him to make the sound. And he gets so frustrated that he'd hold the button, and he couldn't get the words out as fast as he'd want to say it, because he knew what he wanted to say, but it wasn't picking up the voice box, and he was just going, nee, 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 nee. And you're like, Pop, slow down, man. You can't, you can't understand. I don't know what you're saying. This ain't, uh, this ain't like a Morris code. I don't know what that means. Slow down, Pop. I was a little kid. I was, you know, I know none of y'all going to believe this, but I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> Shocking, I know. My quiet, docile, very simplistic personality. I know that most of y'all was like, wow, he was very energetic and talkative. Kid. I was so calm. Yeah, I know. I know it's shocking. But I was at his house. I was asking questions. Hey, Pop, what's that up there? He had a big old deer hanging in his. He loved hunting. He had a big old deer. I called it a, I forgot what it was. I think I, think I called it a, a, a monkey bear or something. It was something crazy. I didn't know what a deer was. And and uh, I would ask him. And then he'd tell me, oh, son, it's a deer. Pop, where'd you hit the deer? Oh, son, well, I was hunting in the in King Street, and I found it, whatever. Hey, Pop, and I just keep asking questions after questions. Well, it annoyed my dad. I know none of y'all would think me and my dad would butt heads ever, being a lot alike like we are. But, uh, you know, sometimes we were like good sandpaper. A little friction made us better. And uh, finally my grandfather said, I mean, my dad finally said, Son, just stop asking questions. I looked at him like, why? <laughs> Question, <laughs> why? Yeah, that didn't go well. Uh, so I, I said that, and I, I kept asking questions, and he finally got the point. He said, son, just stop asking questions. My little grandfather got up there. Nye, nye, nye. And he goes, nye. you want that boy to be stupid? My dad said, what? Nye. You want that boy to be stupid? My dad said, no. He said, you better let him ask questions because only stupid people don't want to know nothing. I was only four, but I perked up and was like, boo yell. <laughs> Point for the four-year-old. <laughs> but my grandfather knew something that I didn't even know then. But sitting in my office today, I remembered it. People who don't ask questions don't ever get answers. And people who think they already know it all are the ones who actually know nothing at all. Because once people get to a place spiritually, they think they've already got it figured out and they don't need the Lord, that's when they're really as far mistaken more than they've ever been before. Because the people who think they know it all are the ones who actually know very little at all. 
I want to tell you how I know this because what happens when the question turns into another form of a question? The first one I want to bring to you is Jesus asked this question. In John chapter 5, he asked a man laying at a pool at Bethesda the following question. Do you want to be made well? See, the pool of Bethesda, there was a, a, an area and had all these steps that went down into this, this big wading pool. And the, 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 uh, the rumor mill of the day was, Brother Larry, that ever so often an angel of the Lord would come by and stir the waters. And the first person that got in got healed. But he was crippled for 38 years, lame on his feet, never could walk. Jesus is walking by one day. The Bible tells us that Bethesda had five porticos, or what they call five porches. In biblical numerology, the number five stands for the divine grace of God, God's inherited and uh, an, an, an unexplainable grace. Jesus is walking by. He sees the man, and the guy's talking to him, and Jesus is asking, what's the deal? And he says, I cannot, every time the waters are troubled, I try to get in there, but because I'm crippled, I kind of got to push myself. I got to kind of you know, slide myself. And by the time I get to the water's edge, somebody already jumped in. And Brother James, I keep missing my miracle. It's like I'm so close, but yet I'm so far. It's like I'm at the threshold of a breakthrough. I'm at the threshold of a miracle. I'm at the threshold where I'm going to be like God is going to heal me today. It's going to be my moment, my divine encounter with the Lord. And as soon as I get in the water, I keep getting out disappointed, Brother James, because I get in and I realize I was the not the first. I get out of the pool and I'm still in the same condition I was when I went in the pool. I'm lame. Can't walk. You know what happens next year, Jesus? Waters are troubled again. I push myself, Sister Nine. I get there. I get there. I get there. I jump in the water but somebody beat me and again I get out of a pool in the same condition I was. I've been going to church. See, I've heard this story many times just in a different way. Pastor, I've been going to church all my life, but my marriage is falling apart. Pastor, I've been going to church all my life. It seems like I've been, I've been going to church for 40 years, and I go to the altar, and I pray, and I seek God's face, and I ask Him to help me. And it seems like somebody who has only been to church two weeks walks up there, gets prayed for, they get a promotion, their job gets better, their marriage gets better. I've been praying for 30 years, and nothing's happening. There's been some people that have had that kind of experience. I'm so close. It's like I'm so far. I'm right there. I know God's able. I come to the water's edge. I get in, but when I get in the water, it's like I leave same way. I've prayed countless times for my sickness to go away. I've prayed countless times for the thorn in my flesh to go away. I've prayed countless times for the pain that racks my body to go away. I've prayed countless times for help. One person walks up one Sunday who doesn't even have an issue and says their back hurts for 30 seconds and you all pray for them and they get healed and I've had chronic back problems for 30 years and I can't get rid of them. I'm so close, but so far. I'm sitting in the same church with them. I'm sitting in the same pews with them. I'm watching them. I'm in the same church service and they get a miracle, but I don't. 30 years, 38 years, Jesus, I've been going to this church. I've been getting in the altar. I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been seeking your face. God, for all intents and purposes, I'm sitting in the grace of God. I'm sitting, I'm basking in the grace of God. I'm not out there living a wayward lifestyle. I'm not living in sin. I'm living in unmerited favor and grace. 
with God. But can I tell you that just because sometimes you live under the grace of God doesn't mean you always get an answer when you want it. Grace does not mean you get granted access instantaneously. He says, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. Now, Jesus could have easily been, all right, well, that's cool. Here's five bucks. Jesus also could have said, well, it's good seeing you. Hey, next time, I'll tell you what, next time you hear the angels are troubling the water, hey, call us up. We'll come down here and we'll be waiting with you. We'll help you get in the water. That's what a good church God folk would have done or a good church people would have done. They'd be like, hey, look, let me know when you're moving and we'll come by the house and help you move. Except there's only one problem I've learned. When you call them Brother James because it's moving day, guess what? They all got plans all of a sudden. It's crazy how that works, isn't it? You know how I many people I met in my life, oh, if you need anything, just call me and let me know. You call them up, like, oh, well, I got plans that day. And then you go, oh, don't worry about it. That's fine. We can do it the following weekend. Oh, I got plans that weekend, too. Well, what weekend are you available? I don't know. You just give me another weekend. That means they ain't coming. <laughs> That's what that means. The easiest way to figure that out is call, call a church work day. Everybody's, all of a sudden, everybody's, everybody's family reunion followed on the same weekend. It was crazy. Some people go into family reunions. They don't even know who their family is. They go into other people's family reunion just not to come. All joking aside, that ain't what Jesus said, though. He didn't heal him immediately. He asked him a question. <laughs> now, if that was me, I'd have been like, look at me. Is this the stupidest question you've ever asked? Like, no offense. Please, please let the pastor just for about 30 seconds have some humor. If y'all don't let me, then y'all, I just want to put it this way. If y'all love Brianna, let me have a little bit of this moment just to get it off my chest. Because if you don't let me do it, she's going to be stuck with me telling her this tonight. So you might as well let me get it off my chest so she doesn't have to hear it all night. The man is sitting there. Now, if I was this man, my self-righteous indignation would have blew up at Jesus. I'd have been like, you are dumb as a rock. Because I'm sitting there, I just told you my horror story. I told you I can't get in the water. I told you I, the waters are troubled. I told you I keep going in day after day. I keep going to the altar. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying, and nothing happens. And you have the audacity to insult me, Jesus, by asking me, do I want to get well? Are you dumb? I just told you I've been trying for all my life to get into that water and to get my miracle and to get my breakthrough and to come out of... I mean, what kind of question is that? Yes, I want to be made well. Jesus was not dumb. He didn't need a rhetorical... It wasn't a rhetorical question. Jesus already knew what he needed. But I believe Jesus asked the question because he wants to know how desperately did that man want it. Because I've learned in my short lifespan, there's a lot of people that say they want X, Y, Z, but when it comes time to be responsible to do X, Y, Z, they don't want it as bad anymore. There's a lot of people say, oh, I want more of God's anointing, too, when they go up there and pray for the anointing, and somebody says, now, the Lord says, if you get this anointing, it's going to be a hard road, and you're going to have this and that, and all of a sudden, they don't want that anointing anymore. <laughs> they want it the good side, they just don't want the bad side. I can't tell you how many people have always said, some in my own family, oh, it must be nice being a preacher. Man, you ain't got to do nothing. You don't have to work. You can just go play golf. You can go ride golf, golf carts. You can just go and do as you please. You don't have to do anything. Just give a good pep talk twice a week, maybe three times a week if you have three services. 
It must be nice not having a real person's job. I've had even some of them say things like, man, I wish I could have that job. Sounds like a piece of cake. I don't even debate with them the fact that 3 o'clock in the mornings when I get up and I can't sleep like last night or other things, when everybody else is sleeping their life away because something is troubling me, I don't even get into that debate. But I watch these same people, family, friends. I don't think I'm on a pity party. I just want you to understand my heart. I watch these same people get up on a Friday afternoon off of a couch or Saturday or leave a Christmas dinner or leave a Thanksgiving dinner, pick up their plate, meet some friends, go down to whether it's a local bar and grill or some hangout jute joint, go hang out with people, three, four, five, six, seven people, eight people, ten people, big group of people go out, laughing it up, putting it all over social media, how much fun they're having. And I'm sitting at home, praying for a service on Sunday. First and foremost, because I know I don't need to be there, because it's not the place for me to be, not because I'm a preacher, but just as a born-again believer, but sit there thinking, but man, I can't call certain people up at the church and tell them what I'm going through, because when you're in the office that I hold, you can't tell them that sister so-and-so, when she came by your office and told you she's no longer going to come to your church, you can't go tell them who said that because then she might call them. You can't tell them that brother so-and-so came by your office and said you're a disgrace to the ministry and you're the worst pastor he's ever had. You can't call somebody in the church and tell them they walked by your office and said, you know what, I wish I'd have never came to your church. You're a disgrace to the ministry. You can't come, you can't call everybody up and tell them that three people just told you they're leaving your church because you don't sing the songs they like or they're leaving your church because they're not paying their tithes anymore and it's a third of your budget because they don't like the way you administer the gospel. You're too hard. You're too old school. You're this, that, and the other. You can't call everybody in the church and tell them that. I can't just walk down the street. I, I, don't misunderstand me. Like, oh, Pastor Jones, little put No, I'm just trying to tell you. There's a lot of people who think it looks easy. But it ain't as easy as it looks sometimes. People sometimes think they want something from God, but they don't realize what it costs to get it from God. And I have told, maybe I'm a bad... That's probably why the Church of God never asked me to be like an MIP under, like, house young ministers. I feel bad for Andrew, uh, all joking aside, because Andrew's kind of come under my wing and has asked me to kind of just show him the ropes and help him in this journey with chaplaincy. I was like, dude, I'm not the best man to do this job. I'm just telling you that right now. And he's like, why not? He said, Cause I'm gonna, I said, because I'm going to tell you don't do it. <laughs> That's not exactly what you want to hear your, your preceptor to say. Don't do it! Run! I remember sitting with him drinking coffee one day, and I asked him, I said, are you sure this is what you want to do? He said, I think so. He said, no, I said, no, son, it ain't what you think. You better know. <laughs> this ain't no think. I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't want to do this. I'm going to be frank with you. I didn't want to be a preacher. I thought preachers were a joke. Not because I didn't trust people. I had good preachers in my life. My dad was one pastor most of my life. I had good preachers. But I knew, one, it was hard, but I knew that ain't what I want to do. I want to be a forensic psychologist. I wanted to get in the minds of serial killers and things like that. I had watched every criminal minds and NCIS there wasn't on man. I wanted to know why people were crazy. Then God called me to be a pastor, and I thought, wow, I have I don't have the credentials, but I still meet crazy people. How'd that work? God, I at least could have got paid more to meet crazy people. 
like my original plan was to have a doctorate degree and go read the minds of psycho, psych, psychopaths and, and, and sociopaths and, and, and figure out what's crazy with them. Then, God, you put me in the ministry and i got to read church people. That's almost worse. And I don't even make what the doctor makes down there. And he works nine to five at the, at the shrink office. But I remember sitting in Somerville, a yield fashion ice cream. Take you to the table. I sat there and I dreaded making a phone call to my mom and daddy. My mom and daddy didn't have to pay for my education, thank the Lord, for scholarships and playing the piano for Charleston Southern. But nonetheless, they stayed on top of, how's your grades? How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. At that point, I was in psychology. That was my major. Loving it. My dad always used to joke, praise God, I'm so glad he's going to be a doctor. He's going to buy a house on Daniel Island. He's going to let me live in the backyard in some really ritzy subdivision, and I can retire, and all that stuff. And I remember calling him on the phone. You know, my mom, I said, where's mom? He said, she's right here. I said, put on speaking voice. Is everything all right? I said, yeah, I think. Called him. I said, Dad, I had a conversation with one of my professors today, and they said I was in the wrong career. My dad said, What? I said, Yeah, I love it, whatever, but I was having a conversation, and one of these Baptist preacher professors asked me if I ever thought about going into the ministry. And I was like, No. <laughs> You're not a prophet of God. You're a prophet liar, not a prophecy. That's not a prophecy. That's a prophet lying. That ain't nothing, that, God did not tell you that. You had bad Mexican. Stop talking. I said, but I went home and I couldn't shake it, Dad. For those of you that know my dad, my dad just has a way with words to make you feel better about yourself. My dad said, oh, my God, he's going to now live in a trailer behind our house. <laughs> thanks, Dad. That's how I wanted to be. I, thanks, Dad. Wow. Way to just take my dreams and go, pop, real quick. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. My mom, who at that point was, at that moment was a little more of the voice of reason, she said, son, would you really be happy if you continued on your track doing psychology? I was like, yeah, yeah, I would. She said, would you sleep for the rest of your studies in psychology? I was like, I don't know. It's been three days. I ain't sleeping now. She said, why don't you just take one class in, in the ministerial vocational track? See how you like it. Make it, if you don't like it, it you, all it's going to do is count as an elective. You've got to have so many of those anyway. It ain't going to hurt you. She said, tell me, tell me how you do it. Just switch, your, switch it for some of your courses this semester and see. At the end of that semester, she came back to me and she said, all right, what you think, son? I said, Mom, I think I have to go be in the ministry. My dad, with all the love, affection that he has, there went my house in Daniel Island. You know, Dad, I don't think you and I should talk about this encouragement. My dad doesn't have the gift of encouragement. I'll just say, oh, there goes my house in Daniel Island. I'm thinking, your house? I was the one buying the house. You were living in my backyard. There goes my house in Daniel Island, Dad. Ms. Carol, as you make your way, we'll pick up the rest of this next week. I thought about that today. I said, do you want to be made well? Before I close tonight, I want to give you a second one, and we'll cover some of these decks. But in Mark chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus feeding 5,000, plus women and children. So somewhere between 20 to 30,000 possible candidates of food. Jesus has been teaching them all day the word of the Lord. 
It's getting dust dark, kind of like it is here. And Jesus says, I can't send these people away hungry without dinner. And the disciples said, God, there's not enough money in our pockets to pay for 20,000 people to eat. Lord, I can't even, some of us can't even afford to take five people to to the restaurant, much less 20,000 people. (laughs) It's a big restaurant, too. And a long week. We don't have enough money. Go back and read it, Mark 6. We don't have enough money. We can't afford to do this, God. Jesus could have easily said, that's true, I understand. All right, well, you know what? We'll just send them or. Now, maybe we can see if we can take up a love offering. <laughs> see if everybody will put a little bit into the coffer here. Let's all help each other. It's not what he says. Anybody know what Jesus said? He said this. What do you have? <laughs> if I was Philip, I'd have turned around again. It's just, I'm, beyond, can I be, I'm just being honest. I'd have looked at Jesus and be like, did you not hear what I just said? We ain't got enough money to feed these people. What do you mean, what do I have? I got nothing. We broke, Jesus. We've been following you. Do you think we're rich? We're traveling evangelists. Do you think we're rich people? We were making, we were fishermen. We made more money doing that than doing this. Jesus said, but what do you have? Well, Andrew and Philip start talking, and Brother Larry, they finally go, well, we got to tell him. We got to tell him something. Jesus, all we have, Brother James, in our possession is we got five loaves, two small fish. We can make about four filet of fish with extra tartar sauce from McDonald's. About four people going to get a fish sandwich today, Jesus. The rest of these people, they're going to go hungry. Well, we can make about four fish sandwiches and two people can get a piece of bread. That's about as far as we're getting, Jesus. The rest of them are going to be real mad when they go home. Remember what I told you, though, about the porticos or the porches of Bethesda, five, the number of grace, five loaves. Grace is still in this process. Then Jesus says, bring to me what you have. Jesus, I, just, I got five loaves, two fish, that's all I got. Bring it to me. Give it to me. The Bible says he took what they gave him. Took that five loaves, Sister Brendan, two fish, basically three combos from McDonald's. He held those things up before the Lord, and the Bible said he prayed a prayer of blessing. That's why we pray over our food, because it's a blessing from God. He prayed a prayer of blessing and said, all right, God, I give it to you. Now you do what you can do. And the Bible said he began to break it and hand it to disciples and say, here, take this piece of bread this loaf and you take this loaf and you take this loaf and you take this loaf now when I first read this story I thought well how did the disciples not notice the bread's not given out but I think it did with them see I think Jesus took he had 12 disciples got 5 loaves you can do about an estimate of about 3 pieces per you know per, per loaf to get to a disciple you know break it off in sections of 3 they give you 15 quarters so brother Larry what I think happened is Jesus took the first loaf and he broke it three ways and handed those three disciples they went off so he took the second loaf and he broke it three ways and the other ones went off and he took the third one he broke it three ways the fourth one so on but that fifth loaf he had in his hand when this first disciple came back Jesus said well this is what I, I got a loaf left so he breaks it and hands him he takes off but the other disciples hadn't got back yet because they're still grouping their people 
But while they're gone, the loaf regrows on itself. Because Jesus was holding the loaf. And I believe with all my heart that they didn't know it was happening. You know how I believe why I believe that? Because the Bible says this. When it was all said and done, they started going around seeing if anybody wanted them to collect the leftovers. And they got 12 baskets full. They would have not known. If they knew that there was all this abundance, they wouldn't have been so worried about it. I don't think they realized it until they collected the leftovers. Because the Bible said once they collected, they were like, how is this possible? They didn't see the bread remultiply itself. I mean, it'd been easy if I pull off a piece of bread, handed it to Brother Larry, and I look down, and there's no piece of bread broke off. I'm going to realize, well, that was weird. I think they kept coming back to Jesus and getting another piece and going out. But, but because they were all over the field and everything else, by the time Brother Randy came and got his, and he goes back, and Brother Larry goes, by the time Brother Robert gets to me, that loaf had regenerated. He didn't even see it, but it regenerated. Because here's what I've found out. Whatever you commit into God's hands, he doesn't lose it. He keeps it. And anything that's in his hand does not get destroyed, but it'll be multiplied for his use. What do you have? And so tonight, before we leave, that's my question to us. Not because I'm here to give you some words you've never heard before. Some people need healing in their body. They're battling pain, infections, cancers, etc. Some of them may not even be here today. Some of them might be here tonight and they have doctor's appointment this week. I, I don't know. But what if Jesus was able to teleport from glory and walk into this room right now and look at whoever it is that had that need and said, do you want to be made whole or well? What would you answer? The most logical answer would be obviously yes. But the Bible said that his hand is not too short, neither is his ear too heavy, that he cannot reach down and touch you. So he may not physically be here, but that doesn't mean he can't physically do it. But you may say, well, I don't have that kind of need, Pastor. I don't really have pain, and I don't really have that, but I do have a need in my life, but I just don't know what to do about it. What if Jesus came by and just said, well, then give, give me what you have. Give me your hurt, give me your pain, give me your frustration, give me what you have, and sit down. Because you know what the Bible said Jesus did with the 5,000? He told them to group them up and sit them down on the ground. Boy, I tell you what, I read that back, just studying this afternoon, that story, boy, I about shouted in my chair. I thought, man, Lord, I like that kind of story. Jesus says, give me what you have and sit down. Oh, I like that. Thank you, Jesus. Here you go. You take all the frustration. Take all the bitterness. Lord, you take all the Monday phone calls. Lord, you take all the Tuesday doctor's appointments. Lord, you take all the Wednesdays. I don't like the preacher calls and text messages. Lord, you take it all. I'll be glad to sit down and let somebody else handle it for a while. That'd be a great day at the job. Give me what you have. Jesus said, give me what you have. Sit down. Jesus were to walk in today and you... So Jesus, I, I have X, Y, Z need. He say to you, what do you have? And you say, all I have is frustration, or bitterness, or anger, or whatever. When he says, then give it to me, would you give it to him and just sit down and let him handle it from there? Jesus doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus asks the questions because he wants to know, do you know who the answer is? The answer is not a temporary fix. It's in the form of a person called Jesus Christ. 
Jesus doesn't temporarily fix things. He permanently transforms those things. Here's my prayer tonight before we're dismissed. We'll pick up the rest of this next Sunday night. But what is it in your life that you need from the Lord? But before you answer that, I want you to self-reflect. What if Jesus were to ask you a question about your question? If you were to say, Lord, I need a miracle today. Will you give me a miracle? Will you save my spouse? Will you save my child? Will you give me a better job? If you have the question for the Lord that you need, but what if he asks you a follow-up question? Are you ready to answer it? What if he says, yeah, I have the ability to get you in the waters, but do you really want me to fix it? Or what if he says, well, instead of you trying to fix it, why don't you give me what you have and you just stay there and let me do my job and you stay out of it? Because I've learned a long time ago, too many people tell God they want him to handle a situation. But Storm, when they go, when God goes to handle the situation, they try to take it back out of God's hands and they don't let God do it. They try to take it back from God instead of letting him just handle it. God doesn't need us to give it to him and then take it back. God wants us to give it to him and leave it there. The old song says, take your burdens to the Lord and pick them back up and go home. No, you take them to the Lord, you leave them there. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Take them there and let them go. <laughs> go home. You know what? Oftentimes, people get the best sleep when they let go of things and just let God handle it. Now, I, I say this, and we're going to pray. I can't control what happens in most people's lives. Be a handful of people in my sphere of influence, I might could affect their life a little bit. But in reality, most people's lives are out of my control. Whether it's a, someone like Sister Jennifer battling her bronchial issues, or brother or sister Bonnie Gunn with cancer, or whoever, there might be things I can't fix, I can't do, I can't handle. But I learned a long time ago that each and every one of us in our, in our lives, if we're not careful, there have been plenty of times that we've had sleepless nights and frustrated nights and tear-stained pillows over things that if we had just given them to the Lord and let them go, God could have gave us a peace that would have surpassed all human understanding and let us sleep like a baby and not even remember it happened. But something inside of us couldn't let it go. Couldn't let it go. Whether it's a church hurt, whether it was a family, and I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just telling you, Sometimes you have to give it to the Lord and you have to leave it there. So my charge today before we pray this benedictory prayer in a moment. Who's asking who the questions? Are you asking God for all these things? But are you allowing God to respond back by asking you for some things in return? Because sometimes God will has the well, we know God has potential. Sometimes God is wanting to do it, but He's not going to do it till He first knows an answer from you. Do you want it? How bad do you want it? Do you need it? How bad do you need? It? Sometimes it's not because God doesn't want to. He wants to know. Do you know how bad you want it? Do you know how bad you need? Do you have the faith? Do you want to experience it? He wants to know what you know. Because the questions are not designed because he doesn't have a clue. The questions are designed so that we realize we can do nothing without 
And let's stand all over this house tonight. Before we have our benedictory prayer, I want to just pray for this body of believers today. Heavenly Father, under the direction of your Holy Spirit, and in the comfort of your house, I have tried my best to convey a message from heaven and hear the voice of the Lord. I may not be a man that's the greatest orator or the man that speaks with the greatest persuasiveness of speech, but I do believe with all my heart that I have tried my very humble best today, this evening, as well as this morning, to be as obedient to you as I possibly could have been. We have to understand that sometimes the questions are not asked by you because you don't know what we have need of. They're asked by you because you want us to realize how much we need you. If there's a man, woman, boy or girl representing in this house today that needs something from the Lord, I pray that whether you use a question or you use some kind of response to their need they would not leave not only this building but Lord maybe even before their their head hits a pillow tonight without finding out what it is you need from them fathers we get ready to go to and fro our destination our humble places of abode and go home will you go with us will you be in our homes tonight when we sleep will you be with us this week as we are with our families and our friends and going to our jobs and our schools and all of those things. Will you speak to our hearts? Will you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, lift up your countenance upon us, give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Father, let the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Our strength and our redeemer. And Father, this whole entire service we commit to your care laid the charge into your hands. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. As you remain in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Rand Hirschberger to pray our benedictory prayer. And immediately following this prayer of faith, you can consider yourselves dismissed. Brother Hirschberger.